On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. It's Tall Can Audio. We're not here to take part. We're here to take over. Nice to be back in the garden, eh? Hello and welcome to Tall Can Audio. I am Michaela. He is Matt. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio, Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. After a few technical difficulties, we are finally recording. Matt, how you doing today? I was way better like 10 minutes ago, but we're doing all right. Yeah. It's, it's all right. How about yourself? Thank you. Thank God we have beer. Yeah, uh, for sure. Otherwise, this that would have is... just been laptop shut, walking away. We're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. Tech tech pro- problems are the worst, uh, but beer helps. And uh, on that note, what are you drinking today, my friend? Mm, uh, I am into something from the Common Good Brewing Company out of Scarborough. And this is, uh, this is a little different. This is out of the, uh, the pack that you and Josh sent over. This is called nice. The Pretty Bird. The pretty oh, bird. That's so nice. I know. And uh, I just, uh, it was kind of next in line here. It is a, a fruited sour. So I think this is the second show in a row I've done with you where I'm a long way from home on my uh, my usual styles here, but it's a blueberry raspberry kettle sour. Ooh. So we'll see what that's all about. I'm a little... Man, we could not have sent you a package that is further away from your taste. <laughs> I tried to like make it clear because with Small Batch Dispatch, you you put in like some breweries that they like. Okay. So I put in Vimy mm-hmm. and Old Flame and I can't remember what else. Thinking like you know both of them have stouts. I figured that there'd mm-hmm. be some, a, a stout heavy focus here. And and <laughs> I have I, have you had a stout in this thing yet? Not a stout, not a brown, not a red, not Damn a it. uh, porter. It's uh, it's All okay. Right. Like it's not like the stuff hasn't been good. It's just been different yeah. from what I. Uh, from what I'm I'm used to, and maybe that's good, right? I'm broadening my uh, my horizons just a little bit. So um, now the one part that I will complain about just a little, and I didn't know we were about to have these technical issues when I picked the beer for the day. Uh, it's only a four point two, and right now I could I could use just a little bit more than that, <laughs> but uh, but we'll take it for now. What are you sipping on today? It's going to be your dipping the toes in the water, so to speak. This will be number one of the night, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, uh, it does look that way. There we go. I am. I'm taking a little trip down the 401 to uh, Toronto, mm-hmm. in, in particular Bloordale Village. I'm going with the Burdock Brewery Vermont Blonde, which misleadingly okay. is not a blonde. That it is, is a weird. pale ale. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a Vermont Blonde spelled without an e, so it's B L O N D. So right. I don't know if that's supposed to mean something else, um, or if like a Vermont Blonde is a specific kind of blonde that's not actually a blonde; it's a pale ale. But long story short, this is a pale ale. What did, um, what did you say the brewery was called? A burdock. 
I have heard and seen actually on Untapped, uh, our friend Graham Creech is all about this brewery. He's he's yep. talked them up a bunch of times. I have to actually. So I, I went to Burdock. Oh, God. Uh, years ago, before the pandemic, I, I, I was down in, in Toronto for actually the Clarkson Cup, which would end up being the last CWHL game ever. Uh-huh. Um, and it was my friend's 30th birthday, and I was staying in an it's Airbnb around the corner from Burdock. Okay. So we went to Burdock for drinks, and it was a, this cute little brewery kind of tap room with plants everywhere very hipster very very <laughs> like uh west toronto um and then i saw creech had posted uh a couple weeks ago he had been posting that he he made an order from them and so i went on their website and saw that they delivered to ottawa so uh made myself a little order okay and this, i think this might actually be one of my last cans so i might have to make another order from them very soon well the world revolves the world revolves around creature right it all it connects us back together and uh, so even Absolutely. this much further back uh, um he's responsible for this order as well i guess but uh, i should say just quickly um for those of you who are looking forward to uh ufc 264 uh, big card, Conor McGregor returns to face Dustin Poirier again. That's the trilogy fight. And uh, we've mentioned it briefly in passing, maybe on the social media, but I can let the good listener know that uh, TCA friends Stephen Bunda and Graham Creech will be back on fight week. Um, that is just two weeks away now, uh, but they'll be on to uh, tee up that card as well. Speaking of Mr. Creech. There you go. And he must get so annoyed with me. Every time he posts a photo on Instagram of his beer, I'm like, where'd you get that? <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs> He's a good guy. Uh, it, it has it has been a big day, and I know we've got a few things to talk about, but I just wanted to to shout out real quickly. Um, team Canada, the women's soccer team, was announced today. Not a, a whole lot of surprises. Obviously, Christine St. Clair, your captain, leading mm-hmm. us into Tokyo. Nice. Uh, team USA also announced their roster for the Olympics and the, the usual suspects are all there. Megan Rapino, obviously yep. was my, when I first looked at the photo, I didn't see Megan and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> controversy. <laughs> She's there. Um, but, but just for the, for soccer fans, women's soccer fans in particular, the rosters for Canada and the U S were announced for the Olympics today. So you can go check those out. I'm not going to list all the players. I won't do that to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that was an exciting day. I was, I was very, very happy. K- uh, Kadisha Buchanan had been left off of, a, a, a training camp roster or something at one point and everyone was freaking out and uh she's on the roster so okay, i'm good, very happy to see good. that if, if you want to check out something cool um uh kaylin sheridan who is a member of gotham fc of the nwsl there's a video going around on twitter of her finding out she was going to be on team canada um she was sitting in the bus got, got a call obviously and and was waiting for them to tell her she knew what it was about she was waiting <laughs> for them to tell her and her teammates were all filming and then when they found out that she kind of gave them a thumbs up and they all kind of silently celebrated so as not to disturb her call it was adorable that's awesome um, i'll retweet that and then and we'll we'll share it on talking audio as well it's, yeah. it's a really feel good video at shrides s-c-h-r-e-i-d-s should be following already if you're not um, the, we should make another quick shout out just before we get into everything. Uh, slightly, I don't know if you want to say sad, but maybe for us fans it is. Uh, Brad Sinopoli announces his retirement from the CFL today. Um, one of my all-time favorites. He's been um, in Ottawa for five seasons. In four of those, he finished with over a 1,000 yards, two Grey Cups. One of those, obviously, in Calgary, but uh, one with the Red Blacks where he'll be um, remembered for uh, you know putting in most of his CFL time. Um, great guy. We had him on the show back in December. Super humble, like super easy to talk to. Uh, just a really good dude. So, um, you know, to Brad, congratulations, and you'll be back out in the uh, 
the Dunrobin or um, Kawartha's there fishing and, and spending the, the time back in the woods like he likes. But uh, for us fans, not quite as good a news. But uh, congratulations to him on an awesome career. Yeah, absolutely. And I I had a moment where I was like, wait, how old is Brad Sinopoli? Why is he retiring? <laughs> 33 years old, a year older than me. Okay, that's cool. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but we are just I – I don't want to preview anything because it's not confirmed yet. But we I will say we are firing up the Mouchoir mm. podcast this week, myself yes. and Janine. Um, let's just say there's an iron in the fire related to this announcement. Okay. And we're hoping to – I'm going to say that and it's not going to happen, but we will be recording this week. So <laughs> pay attention for another episode of Mushwara Roblox podcast. And yeah, uh, shout out Brad Sinopoli brought some great, great memories uh, to the Ottawa Redblacks and, and its fans, mm-hmm. their, their fans. So, uh, you know, we wish him all the best. I'm sure he has a illustrious career ahead of him in whatever he wants with the Redblacks or with the CFL. Um, I think he's going to have so, one of those fishing shows on Saturday mornings on TSN or something. I think that's what's ahead for Brad Sinopoli. Then I will never uh, see him again because I don't watch fishing shows. I don't fish and I certainly don't watch, watch other people. It's kind of how I feel about poker on TV. Yes, precisely. And you know what? Like to each his own. If you sure. like fishing and you like watching fishing, cool. Yeah. Um, I would rather set myself on fire. So <laughs> I'm not going to. Sorry, Brad. Won't be watching. Fair congratulations enough. on your retirement. Yes, exactly. Um, so a few things we wanted to get to, uh, you know, right off the bat, um, what is going on with Montreal? Someone please explain the Montreal Canadians to me. Like I'm a five-year-old. Why are they winning? Why are they up three, two against the Vegas Golden Knights right now? I have several questions. Um, but I know you wanted to talk about in particular, the flurry slash Leonard decision. Yeah. Cause we saw, we saw a little bit of back and forth with the goaltenders for Vegas this week. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Game three made a, well, we'll say costly error uh, that led to the game-tying goal. Very easy game-tying goal for yeah. Jack Anderson. Uh, was sub- Subsequently did not get the start. Uh, in game four, they went with Leonard. Vegas won in OT. And then game five, they go back to Flurry and Montreal wins 4-1. What do you think about Vegas's uh, goaltending decisions? Um, honestly, I didn't have a huge issue with them starting Robin Leonard in game four. I wouldn't have done it. I think... Flurry um, has given you a Vezina candidate caliber season um, and, you know, made obviously a horrible gaffe on the, the tying goal, but maybe he wasn't that great in um, in the uh, earlier game as well. So I, I game three, I guess I'm referring to. I, I don't know, though. It's not like he was terrible by any means. And there, there was some crazy talk. I don't know if you buy into this. You know, he's a Quebec-born kid. Is the pressure of playing this deep in the playoffs against the Montreal Canadiens getting to him? Before we go any further, do you buy anything into that theory at all? I'm sorry. The Montreal Canadiens who lost nine of their last ten regular season games? No, yeah. I don't think it was uh, yeah, this isn't him when it came to... Jean Beliveau or <laughs> like Yvonne Cornouaille. Yeah. This is not the... Montreal Canadiens. This is the worst team that made the playoffs. So, no, I'm glad you're with me there. Here's the problem that I... shouldn't I, use that verbiage, by the way. I just mean it, he probably wasn't cracking under no. the pressure. I realized the verbiage I used wasn't uh, wasn't great. But, ah. no, I don't I don't think it's that at all. Like, no. come on, man. Like, no one can explain why the Canadians are this far into the playoffs. So I highly doubt that Marc-Andre Fleury was shaking in his boots when right. he was watching them, you know, play Winnipeg or whatever. So they go to Robin Leonard in game four, and he's great. I, like I said, I wouldn't have done it, um, but it turns out 
to be Matt looking stupid again on Twitter, which happens more often than I'd like to admit that it does. <laughs> but it, it, it works, and he gets the job done. He gets the win. He's very good in that win. And so I'm kind of like, well, I assume when they get home in Game 5, you'll just go with Robin Leonard again. You have you know, two very good goaltenders and one's hot and you obviously believed another was struggling to make this move and they go back to Flurry, and Flurry loses. And I, I don't think, again, I don't think Flurry was terrible in game five, but what now do you do in game six? You've, you could have just stuck with Leonard and you didn't. So now I guess he's going to be questioning his own place or, or confidence, maybe a little bit. If you go with Flurry again, he knows the whole world is screaming for the other guy. Um, and you've already shown him once that you're prepared to go somewhere else. Like it just seemed like if you were going to Leonard under the impression that if he wins this, if it goes well, it's his net and he'll keep it, I'm fine with that idea. But to see him play that well and then go back to Flurry and then not have that pan out has opened a whole other can of worms that I just don't think they needed to do. Yeah, that's the. It, it's not so much the the uh, starting of Robin Leonard in Game Four that I have an issue with. It's mm-hmm. the flip flopping and going back to Mark Andre Fleury. Exactly. Like, pick a side and stay with it. Like you either accept that your your goaltender, who like you said, gave you a phenomenal regular season and, and helped get you this far in the playoffs, you accept that he made a mistake in Game Three and you show that you have confidence in him yeah. by still giving him the start in Game Four and going forward. Or you go with Leonard and he gives you a win and you stick you with ride it. it. Yep. Like, like why? Obvi- like you said, obviously he's hot right now and he's, he's going to ride the confidence of game four. We, we, we saw, um, you know, he was certainly feeding off the criticisms on Twitter and using that as fuel. So <laughs> I'm sure he could continue to do that. That was the most relatable um, thing I've ever seen a pro athlete say. Yeah, I'm just like spite, honestly. spite win. Love it. <laughs> right. Like. Shout out Robin Leonard for some good uh, some good sound bites throughout the season and yeah. always, but he is a gem of a of an interview. Um, but I I think they did more damage by going back to Flurry because what do you do now? Yep. The next game is an is is literally a must win for yep. you because if you don't win, you're out. And do you go with the the goaltender who just got you know I don't want to say lit up, but he certainly didn't have a great outing in Game Five right. uh, in a four one loss. Um, or do you go with the goaltender who you showed did, you, you didn't allow him to win Robin Leonard. You didn't allow him to earn anything nope. in, in the win in game four. You go back to him. Like what message are you sending and what are you doing to the confidence of both of these goalies? Yeah. I think like, as, as a head coach, you, you have to, you are managing their confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that Vegas handled this, just it, it does nothing for either of their confidence in this, in this case. That's right. No. And that's exactly, uh, I agree with that completely, right? I, I just wanted to kind of hit on that a little bit because this just seemed like, like we both said now, if the plan was go to Leonard and if he's good, keep going with him. I I still wouldn't have done it, but I go, okay, I get that. That makes sense. But to do the flip-flop thing, to rattle both of them, to have all these question marks now going into a game where your season's on the line and you could be eliminated, man, I... I and the, the whole thing is, it doesn't matter. Like, which one of those guys you put in as long as nobody can score, Right. Like the the goaltending has not really been the problem for Vegas in this series. So it just seems like such an unnecessary can of worms to have gone through. Since game one, like Vegas has been lucky to get to two goals in this series. 
right? Like, and that's what Montreal does. Like they, we talk about the New York Islanders for doing this, but good lord, does Montreal ever just silently step on the throats of their slowly step on the throats yeah. of their opponents and suffocate them? I am familiar with this phenomenon. they they can't get any scoring and and like you know i know i said at the beginning someone please explain the montreal canadians to me but like that's they're just really quietly stifling Mm -hmm. some of the best offenses in this league and and vegas is one of them right like where where's mark stone right in in this series right he's been silent turning it over at the red line and and, that was the least mark stone play you will ever see in your life like i I don't know. know what the hell happened broke my heart i bet but, you, know, you know like we can we can talk about the vegas goaltender situation i certainly think it warrants discussion but yep. i think goaltending is the least of vegas's problems right now they need to figure out how to score completely agree. right like this yep. this is a team that you could score three or four goals on and they'd still beat you in the regular season yep and yeah. we're just not seeing that right now so where where do you stand as 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 a fan of a team that was eliminated by the Montreal Canadiens, do you want to see them win on Thursday and go to the Stanley Cup nah. final? Or are you like, please stop this right now? Yeah, stop this right now. Um, I don't need to see this go any further. I'm having the same type of heartburn and, and you know, terror sweats that I was when the Ottawa Senators were in the conference final threatening to make it to a, a cup final. I don't need that in my life, right? And, and the only solace or whatever you would call it that you would typically get would be you know you lost to the team that went on and won the Stanley Cup but I just don't believe this Montreal team is that good they're on a heater at the right time which is totally legit everybody gets to to do that and the Leafs won't get any credit anyway they're still going to be ripped limb from limb so (laughs) really what's the point I I I, it sure as hell looks like Vegas is done um so at that point I guess I become like the world's biggest either Tampa Bay Lightning or Lou Lamorello. I'm back on his bandwagon, maybe with the uh, the Islanders. I cannot see the Habs win another cup. Not with this GM team, of anyway. The year. Apparently, yes. GM of the year. Lou Lamorello, GM uh, of the year. Honestly. Look at that. Um, yeah, I'm... I don't know where I stand. I have moments of like, well, it's kind of cool, I guess. And then I have moments where I'm like, no, I don't want anything good to happen to the Montreal Canadiens ever. Um, so I don't know where I stand. Did you see... The photo of Celine Dion in Vegas attire. I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, yes. Uh, and she took some, you know, she took some crap online for it, but uh, our hearts will go on, right? It's, uh, it will be okay. <laughs> I just, it's kind of like the CN Tower situation, right? Like, <laughs> is it a big deal? Probably not. But of all the fan bases and of all the people, mm-hmm. like, is there is there a pop star who is more synonymous with French Canadian than Celine Dion? No. No. You automatically associate her with Quebec and with the Montreal Canadiens, just naturally. I don't even know if she's a Habs fan. Apparently she's don't. not. <laughs> um, Apparently she's not. Yeah. I get that she has a residency in Vegas or had a residency yes. in Vegas or whatever. Like a lot of people responded to me with, well, actually she has a residency in Vegas. I'm like, you're clearly missing the point of this. <laughs> it's, it's that like of all the fan base, the, the, the Montreal Canadiens fans have no chill whatsoever. No of you, Montreal Canadiens fans, some of you, but you have no chill. Yeah. And of all the, the, the fan bases and all the pop stars to have this situation happen to, it just felt so hilarious that it was Celine Dion. It felt so wrong that she was, you know, being associated with the team that was playing 
the Montreal Canadiens when I think most of the world would associate her with French Canada, with Quebec, yeah. and with the Montreal Canadiens. And I just thought that was so funny. I sat back in my Sens fan, you know, seats with my popcorn and, and just watched the comments roll in. Well, it's possible, you know, that she sort of forgot her love of the Montreal Canadiens or, or for hockey in general. And after seeing her, her Twitter mentions last night, maybe it's all coming back to her now. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Fun with words, folks. That's the way it is. And that's the way it is. Well done. For those, if that's more of like, I don't think a lot of non-Celine Dion fans might. No, there's, I feel like people that's more modern day think Celine. that this show has bottomed out with these Celine references that people maybe aren't catching. I, I have no idea how many Celine Dion fans listen to this podcast, but it's not uncommon, right? We saw Shania Twain get big into the the Predators run to the the Stanley Cup. She was in the stands there. Sometimes, you know, you just once you've lived in a place or become synonymous with a place for a while, you you know, maybe it would be hard. It's not like. Uh, you know, I have no idea whether Shania was a Leafs or a Senators fans or, or fan or whatever when she lived here. But once you get that settled into the Nashville scene, there you are. And maybe it would be different for Celine because she is facing Montreal. But uh, I wasn't it. I didn't really even think about it. Right. I, it never dawned on me until I saw the picture. I was like, oh, uh oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> but to me, it was hilarious. So uh, and we all like little Twitter storms said- like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I think I said something to the effect of, "Is there any chance that no one in Quebec will see this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> because no one in Quebec is going to enjoy seeing that?" And again, this fan base is not exactly the calmest of no. fan bases when it comes to this stuff. So I, I just thought that was hilarious. It was awesome. Yes. Um, uh, any other hockey hockey related notes you want to touch on before we move on? Uh, I think that was that was really about it. We got enough else going on in the world this week that uh, you know we don't need to. To bury the hockey thing too much, I suppose. No. So yeah, we got we got other stuff we can hit on. We sure do, and one of them is the fact that Becky Hammond, for the love of God, <laughs> may finally get a head coaching job in the NBA as she enters. She's one of the finalists for the uh, head coaching job of the Portland Trailblazers. We've watched Becky Hammond, who, by the way, is an assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs mm-hmm. under Greg Popovich. We have watched her interview and interview and interview for so many jobs over the years, and it feels like this time it might finally actually happen, Matt. Yeah, and it's pretty cool to see because, like you said, we, we've seen this happen before, and I, I would be interested to get your take on how many of those op- – like, this feels legit, like you said. Like she's, like, she's in the mix. Like, the time is right. Like, people are willing to finally extend – the respect deserved to these types of people. Um, you know, we talked about the Florida Marlins making their hire and, and you know, it, the world just seems to be opening up a little bit. Right. Um, but I wonder how many of the previous times you believe, and this has nothing to do with her and her qualifications, but how many times she was almost used as a PR thing? Like, see, we're doing the open-minded thing and how many times she was, you know, versus how many times she was actually in the mix. Like it, it's, I know it's cynical to say, and and this time it does feel like someone might actually give this woman a chance, but it does feel a little bit like sometimes you throw, you know, a, a bone to your female fans or to the press or to whatever. And go, yeah, yeah, we're talking to her, but not actually with any intent. Did you get any, or is she too well respected in the game to to think that people might be messing with her like that in the past? 
Honestly, because it's the NBA and because it's her and, 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 you know, she's, she's a six time WNBA all-star. She's been with the San Antonio Spurs since 2014. Like she's put in her time. Yeah. You don't get to stay on Popovich's been, staff for that long unless you well, actually exactly. are bringing something. She's, she's coached under arguably one of the greatest coaches. I mean, not even arguably. Yeah. He is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Arguably the best coach mm-hmm. of all time. And although Phil Jackson might have something to say about that, sure. but you know what I mean? Like it's not exactly like she's been you know, under a rock and, and just come out of nowhere. Like yep. she's, she's put in her time. She's got great experience. And ever I think most NBA fans have been watching this whole thing unfold over the last few years and not been surprised at all that she's interviewing. She, she interviewed for the Detroit Pistons head coaching job a couple of years ago. That was the first time that I caught wind of it. Right. Um, and, and that was, I think in 2018 or 2019. That was the Dwayne Casey hire, so, I believe in Detroit. So, Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So, so, you know, this is not the first time we've, we've had these discussions. This is not the first time. I mean, she's, she's has been a head coach for a very short period of time. Yes. And by that, I mean one game <laughs> yes. uh, when pop was thrown out and she was the first female to, to serve as head coach. But like this, uh, this is as real as it gets. Yeah, this for feels me, real. She is yeah. As qualified as it gets. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I honestly don't know how much those quote unquote PR stunts really happen. Like if I'm being honest, like I, I feel like it's, it's a question that is often raised whenever a woman gets a job. And I really don't think it is as much of a thing as some people think it is hmm. right. Like I, I don't think that any professional sports team makes a formal hire, especially at the position of head coach without knowing that this is the person for the job right now. Oh, I, I, and, you know, that's a big investment to make. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, I'm not suggesting her potential hire. I'm no, suggesting no, 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 the know. interviews, right? Like that, you know, here's the three guys that we're actually looking at. And if we say we're also talking to Becky Hammond, everyone will see us as this open-minded organization, even if we're not, right? Like that's the cynical part yeah, of it I, for me in the past. That, yeah, no, I, and, and I'm, I certainly appreciate that there, there there's always going to be our minds automatically go to that. Right. Sure. And, and because it's the NBA, I'm much less inclined to think like that. Cause they, they are a more, yep. Of all the major sports leagues, I like to think of them as uh, major men's sports leagues. Mm-hmm. I like to think of them as probably the most progressive and, and certainly, um, you know, it, it welcoming of, of people who aren't just straight white old dudes, <laughs> um, which is nice. Yes. It's true. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think so in this case. And, and again, um, just given who she is and her history so far, there was a good point brought up by uh, the athletic though. And I can't remember who the writer was, but you know, we've, like I said, we've seen Becky Hammond interview a number of times and it just feels like it's so close and it never happens. Mm -hmm. What if, and there's a real possibility she doesn't, she still gets this job with Portland or a head coaching job in the off season. And is still not the first female head coach in the NBA because Carol Lawson, who's the former Celtics assistant and current Duke women's head coach, uh, is apparently interviewing for head coaching positions as well. I don't know which ones, but she out of nowhere, I feel like Carol Lawson could just pop up and and get the first job. Just swoop right in and get tired. And then, hey, if we have two female head head coaches in the NBA, awesome. Yeah. So be it. Let it happen. Like, let the floodgates open for the love of God. I just think it's hilarious that yet another team that you may become a fan of very quickly here in Portland is another West Coast mm-hmm. team that will have you on the 10 p.m. Guys, e- East Coast, <laughs> for the love of God. I'm going to have to move, aren't I? Yeah, I think so. 
That's, uh, speaking of basketball, I do want to um, I correct myself last week, which I realized no one cares about. But I said that Sue Bird was going for her fourth mm-hmm. Olympic medal. Um, I'm an idiot. She's going for her fifth. Wow. Actually, uh, she's a four. Is that good? Olympic that sounds good. Medalist. Sounds pretty good. She's yeah. also a four-time WNBA champion yeah. and 11-time All-Star. <laughs> um, and on that note, the U.S. women's basketball roster was announced this week for Tokyo as well. And uh, unsurprisingly, Sue Bird was on it. And it was pretty star-studded, like a lot of names oh that jumped out, even to, to somebody like me who at best is a casual basketball fan. I'm like, yep, know that name. Yep, know that name. Yep, know that name. This could be problematic it, for the rest of the world <laughs> again. This really does feel like dream team status. Yeah. Like you, so, uh, Candace Parker, who notably was left off, um, as was uh, Nika Ogwamike. I'm glad um, you tackled that name. I've been saying that name over and over again in my head today because I'm like, I'm not <laughs> screwing this up. Nika Ogumike. Um Notably, Ogumike in particular, I, I do want to talk about because she, this she has been left off the U.S. Olympic roster. She's never been named to it. She's the only WNBA All-Star to never make an Olympic oh, roster. Wow. She's attended every U.S. camp, event, whatever that she's been asked to. Mm-hmm. And she was very notably left off. She she did hurt her knee in June and the timeline for her to return was something like four to six weeks kind of coincides with yep. like pushing right up against the Olympics. But there, there's a lot of people who feel like there's more to this. Even Candace Parker said, don't tell me politics aren't involved, hmm. right? There's more to Okumike being left off than, than anything else. Her sister posted about it. Like she helped uh, the U S win the FIBA world cup in I believe it was 2014 and 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Like she's done everything that Team USA has asked of her, right? Uh, over the years, and and has still been left off. She was snubbed for Rio in 2016 when she won the W when she was the WNBA MVP. Yeah, you don't see that every day in any sport. No, <laughs> the reigning she's MVP the only- is not good enough to play for our country. And I should say, she's not the only uh, WNBA All-Star. She's the only WNBA MVP who's yes. never made an Olympic roster. So that was a little disappointing. Candace Parker as well, um, who is going to be doing commentary um, in the Olympics. But I think Candace Parker uh, took her, her snub a little seriously because in the game that night, she put up 23 points and 12 rebounds in a Ooh. win against the New York Liberty. So <laughs> I think she was, she was a yeah. little... You don't want me? Take a look at this. Fired up. Yeah, exactly. So, but she brought up a good point. All it is to say, she brought up a good point that you could put together three gold medal winning rosters with the talent of, of American basketball players we've talked about this before. There aren't even enough, there aren't even enough spots in the WNBA for the amount of talent that is circulating in women's basketball right now. So when you look at a 12 man roster, 12 woman roster, (laughs) You're you're gonna have to leave someone off, and and I know there is more to Ogumike being left off than that. Like I think that's a separate category that, admittedly, even I don't understand the politics of to to speculate on. Right. Um. But I th- I think j- when we're looking at everybody else left off, like you're gonna have to leave someone off. It's it's this is akin to to icing a Canadian Olympic hockey team. Right. There's going to be someone left off. <laughs> yeah, no, we won't there be arguing about the top players. line or the second line. We'll be arguing about the former MVP that didn't make team. You know, Rob and I on the last show were arguing about whether Steven Stamkos is still someone worth taking a look at on the Canadian Olympic team. Uh, the next night, he, of course, scored two goals, making us both look ridiculous. But um, that's the type of debate that happens when your country is so much more stacked and and so much more deep than everybody else and that's absolutely the case with the the united states women's team that 
like you're looking at that roster going oh dear like oh dear oh dear like forget any other countries could you load up a you know usa versus the world team and stand a chance and no you don't (laughs) honestly like it's this uh, is it wrong to cheer for them it's fun right like to see these stars all in one place to try and do something real it's different than an all-star game where nobody really cares right when you put the the flag on they do care and so you see this collection of talent like that i don't know if i'd be cheering for them necessarily but i would enjoy watching them right it's it's a different vibe and it's fun to see that much talent you know there for the right reasons and and competing in a place like that so i don't think it's wrong to enjoy it yeah yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm going to cheer for Canada, obviously. Yeah. But inevitably, when in the race probably for silver. doesn't beat them. <laughs> yeah. I I think I will. Now, if it's Canada, U.S. in the gold medal game, oh, my God. I think my brain might explode. Um, <laughs> but if it's, you know, let's say Canada maybe loses in the semifinals or something and has a very respectable battle, mm. I will probably cheer for Team USA after that because. Well, that's yeah, fair. Super. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I want to touch on something that we talked about last week that you very graciously explained to me because I still I still can't wrap my head around the MLBs. It looks like stuff. a lot of people can't wrap their heads around it right now. I just honestly. So there's been a few now now that the MLB is cracking down yep. on, on sticky stuff. Yep. No more of balls. that. Yep. Um pitchers are starting to get examined and they're yep. starting to be to get checked for sticky stuff, in, yep. including Max Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Um who wasn't happy about it? He was not. And gave it like 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 uh, I think I'm pretty sure he pulled an ocular muscle, rolling his <laughs> eyes at the crowd. Um, and then same with the uh, Oakland A's reliever Sergio Romo, who basically stripped down yeah. and did like a Dwight Schrute of dropping his pants and being like, "Hey, here, check everything." You want to check? That's it. He's throwing um, his hat he down. He's throwing his glove down. He's peeling his belt off. He's like, here, check it all. Whatever you want, right? And you're seeing pitchers make a bit of a show of this, right? That that they're not happy being checked. The the Max Scherzer one comes on. Um, I think he was checked after the first, after the fourth, and after the fifth, I believe. And then he's, you know, he's just sort of like, enough of this, right? And now he's he gets checked the last time because he's rubbing his hands through his hair, like taking his hat off, and he's all sweaty and whatever. And and Joe Girardi, the, the manager of the Phillies, is like, I've never seen him do that before. Maybe he's got sticky stuff in his hair. So the yumps are having... And that's where the eye rolling is coming in. Like, he's just staring down Joe Girardi in that, that Phillies bullpen. Like, are you serious with this? Like, are we really doing this this often? And I did see a great point um, on Wednesday before we recorded here that, like, this is the most MLB thing ever to make your to be accusing so openly and so publicly your own players of cheating that they are being publicly checked, right? Like right out there on the field in front of all the fans are checking their belt, anything sticky here, checking their hats, anything sticky here, anything on the gloves. And like, I get the crackdown, right? I get what they're trying to do, but to do it in such a public way, so repeatedly, you're just showing your own fans yeah, our game's pretty crooked and we need to publicly do this to our own guys. It's become a scene fast. Like this is a disaster in how this is playing out. Well, that's the thing. Like it's one thing to, okay, we need to look at rule changes. We need to look at, you know, how to quote unquote clean up our game. Mm -hmm. 
But when you're when you're doing it this publicly and this publicly pissing off your staff yep. and your your you know people who make you money, mm-hmm. eh, maybe that's not the most effective way to go about it. Do you I have mean, any I, beef I, with I the players doing this? Like, because there is an argument to be said. Like, come on, like grow up a little bit. There, everybody's going through this, and only a few of them are making a scene. At the same time, I don't really have a problem with the argument that like this is stupid. You're embarrassing me out here. I'm going to embarrass you right back. I. I'm sort of torn that there's a that spiteful part of me is like, yep, rub it right in their faces like that. They're making a mockery of this. Um, But at the same time, it's not like I don't get the frustration. Right. And I don't know. There is a part of me that's like, let's just get through this. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I I think there's an argument to be made. I I don't often like to make the both sides argument. But um, I think in this case, I can I can see both sides. right? Right. Like on the one hand these pictures, you kind of want to be like, listen, I know this sucks, but we all have unnecessary and silly parts of our job that we don't sure. like. Maybe don't be such a baby about it. Yep. Um, I also hate to make this argument, but they are making millions of dollars to play baseball. Maybe it's not the end of the world that their hands have to be looked at after they pitch. <laughs> right? Like, I don't think the you make millions of dollars argument exempts you from other things like, you know, being a human being and, and yep. having – uh, mental health struggles because it's often used in that context. I'm not you. I'm not using it in the same context. I'm saying like, you know, if you have to be checked, if your belt has to be looked at while you're walking off the mound, right? It's not the end of the world. You, you will don't have to do a strip tease on the mound. To- <laughs> yeah, and and you know maybe it's an adjustment period, and and maybe there's a lot going on behind the scenes that they're frustrated at, and I get that, but it does kind of look bad. I sure. I see the side that the MLB is not handling this properly, yep. and I said that last week. Like this this feels like the offside uh, yes, review rule a little bit. in the NHL, right? A very dramatic overcorrection to something that should probably just be adjusted silently behind the scenes, and that's like uh, or maybe go ahead. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Or maybe wasn't a huge issue to begin with. Like, like, sure, ban certain substances, but like, figure out a way in the off season to test for for those substances. And you know, a player having sunscreen on his arm isn't really gonna make all that much of a difference, right? And I think that's a big part of this in terms of like the public perception of this. Everyone has sort of known this was going on for a while, and maybe it had gotten out of hand, and you were gonna have to crack down. But you have now drawn more attention to this yourself, looking at your own game, at your own guys, on your own broadcasts, than the fans were ever talking about it, right? The This scene that we keep seeing play out now is far more spotlight shining than anything else that was happening before. So it is very MLB to shoot themselves in the foot like this. And um, I do think people will get used to it. I think it'll die down a little bit. But interestingly... Um, while Max Scherzer is indignant that this is happening to him, his spin rate was down like 26% in his first start with nothing on the ball. Um, so it's not like there there hasn't suddenly been, you know, instant proof of the difference that this does make to uh, to certain pitchers. And, and for those who aren't familiar, yeah. like just the spin rate and the way the ball, you know, will die on a, a curve or a slider or whatever, right? It, the more times it'll rotate in the air before it gets to the plate, the more times it might cut. It might make that that movement that you're looking to get. So that's the big thing. They were seeing too much. Everybody's spin rate was jumping up way too much, and it appears early on like it's coming back to Earth, so maybe it will have the intended effect, but uh, certainly not without side effects, apparently. So here's a question, and tell me if I'm off base with this, but when it comes to the spin rate and then the impact that not having sticky stuff is having on on that and, and like you said it is it is pretty profound mm-hmm. 
like, let's say you gave every NHL player a wooden stick with no curve. What would happen? Their shooting percentage would probably change. Yep. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, the game evolved to allow for curves and sticks and composite sticks mm-hmm. and all this stuff that made the life, the lives of players a little easier, probably made the lives of goalies a little harder, but they adjusted. And they got their own Is this, equipment And they got their own, cha- you know, yeah. updates and, and stuff. Is this not kind of the same thing? Minus the extreme, like the spider tack, I yeah. get that. But like, is this not just a natural progression of pitchers finding ways to make their their game better and the MLB resisting that? I think to an extent, I think that's a reasonable point, right? The materials that you're using in the game, why did we suddenly become okay with a different type of stick after 80 years of, of wood or whatever the hell it was, right? Like, I think that's a fair comparison. Um I think, like we talked about last week a little bit, though, the MLB just decided um, it needs to be held within reason in terms of how you're going to do that. If you can increase your own spin rate, that's awesome. That's going to make you better, and that's something we've really only grown to understand over the last five to ten years. Um, but you're going to have to find a way to do it with things readily available in the park, right? And and so whether you want to allow the the sunscreen and the rosin and that kind of stuff, that's a reasonable discussion but yeah I, I didn't really have a problem with them getting rid of the spider tack like you mentioned and then now you're asking umpires to figure out which is which what kind of sticky stuff are you using and this one's approved and this one isn't um i think there's a bit of a feeling out part uh, of this and yeah it's kind of a mess again the, it's the mid-season change yes, right it like is. It if is. if batters were starting to adjust to these higher spin rates and catchers in particular were starting to adjust yep. to know where to where to go you know, now you've just dramatically shifted and everyone, not just pitchers, has to reevaluate their game. Well, and, and, and that is. And we're headed into the trade deadline and the Jays badly need relievers. What do you know about these relievers all of a sudden? Everything yeah, you watched point. them. Yeah. Everything you saw them do for the first two and a half months of the season. Does it still work? Was he using some stuff like he was obviously using stuff. Most pitchers in the game are using something. What was he using and what does he affect pin on that? And what do I know? even about my own guys all of a sudden, right? Like as you start to gear up for the trade deadline and the, the rest of the season, all of a sudden there's this question of, man, that guy was dominant in April and May. And when I got him, he wasn't dominant anymore. Does that coincide with the rule change? Or I think it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. This Again, we, we talked about last week, the, the image of, and I don't remember who it was, but the, the catcher who had the baseball stuck to him. Yeah. The guy from the right, White Sox, I forget the... his name too, but yeah. That was that was the pinnacle of of <laughs> yes. the problem and why it needed needed to be addressed. That was the Matt Duchesne offside. Yes, man. it was. It absolutely was. Like it, it pushed this whole thing over the brink, made the MLB make a very dramatic overcorrection that is probably going to cause more problems than it is going to solve. Mm-hmm. And here we are. And the MLB continues to get in its own way. That's they that's, love to do that. The that's the national thing. pastime. That's what they. Were, that's really the real national is. pastime. <laughs> Oh my God, this league. <laughs> it is amazing how they, how, how, how we are fans. Yep. Like how we dedicate so much of our time. <laughs> so much of our time. 162 games a year. Honestly. At least. Yep. If you're lucky. To this. Um, this you, is... you, yeah, at minimum, like you say, right? You're trying to get more than that. Yeah, but, like, yeah. It, you know, for one team. Yep. Ugh. Thank God for Flatty. <laughs> Just killing it. He has been such a bright spot on this season. Like not 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 like just for the Jays, but I just mean like in the it's been a hard to be an MLB fan at times with all this stuff. And like 
you're a Jays fan, man, you've got at least something to look forward to. True. He's been awesome almost every damn night. So uh makes it worth tuning in. Absolutely. Um I think I think that's that's all I had on my list of things to discuss, Matt. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit on? Well just quickly, maybe we should mention Carl Nasib. Nasib. I don't know yes. how to pronounce that last name. Do you have a better handle on it than I do? I believe it's Carl Nasib. Okay. Nailed it. Right on, Matt. Good job. I think I don't know. Oh, um, oh you've yes. taken that out of me now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've read a lot about it. Uh, me too. I have not watched a lot of videos. I'll be completely honest with you. But for those of you who don't know, um, Carl Nassib of the Oakland Raiders, sorry, Las Vegas Raiders yeah. will never leave me. Um, <laughs> he came out publicly this week as gay, and therefore he is the first active NFL player to be openly gay, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is Pride Month. This it was just as good a time as ever sure. to, to do this. And uh, the amount of support he's received from, from other players, from other public figures and in general from comments. I mean, I haven't read too much of the comments cause they scare me, but yeah. this is, this is a historic moment, right? Like I, I know my, Michael Sam a few years ago was drafted. He was an openly gay player. I don't know. You know, he obviously didn't come out while, while he was right. playing uh, for the NFL. And, and y- you know, this is a good time to remind people that, Carl Nassib is not the first gay NFL player. He there is not. Are, like he is the first openly gay yes. and out NFL player. Um, and I think it serves as a good reminder that just because someone isn't open and, and out does not mean that you know anything about their sexuality right. or their sexual orientation. So um, it was it got a good discussion around that started. But you know, this is this is history, and this is this is a league that so badly needs a shift in culture. Mm-hmm. And this was such a great moment. And w- one thing that I really loved a, a couple of days after uh, he came out, he posted a video on his Instagram. Uh, his Jersey sales went through the roof. I wondered and if I that was, was going to happen. I, I expected yeah. we might suddenly be hearing that name a whole lot more. Right. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, again, it's, it's a league and a, and a sport where, I understand why people don't want to come out. Like it, it oh, is a yeah. scary place to be a, you know, a, a male gay athlete in a, in a incredibly toxic environment that football can be. And not just, not just players, but fans, right? right? Like we've seen how the NFL fans have reacted to the Kaepernick situation or anything that's not, you know, pro America and raw, raw, hyper masculine, all that stuff. Like, you know, you see the way that they react to people linking arms, um, standing up for social justice, which I don't know how you boo, but you know we've we've seen the reactions of fans to things like that, and I understand why people would be reluctant to come out and to see someone have the confidence to do that, and hopefully it sparks more confidence and, and comfort in other people to do the same. But then to see the fans react by by supporting him that way, I thought was just really really great to see. Um, first thing I want to say is to congratulate you on on your wording that properly because I saw an awesome tweet. You said uh, first ever um, openly gay active NFL player, which is correct. And someone else uh, in a headline that I saw that got dunked on on Twitter for a while, people were having a good laugh at, was just meant the same thing, tried to do the same thing, but said open actively gay NFL player. Actively gay? <laughs> like, what? That's very different somehow, I guess. Uh, so congratulations to you on keeping all these words in the correct order. Um, but I, I thought this was cool. And, and one of the things that I loved about it was in his video where he made the announcement. I'm sure he knew what a big deal this was going to be. I'm sure there was a part of him that was a little scared. I'm sure there was 
part of them that was, you know, wondering what people were going to think. But the video, he sounds like he goes, just wanted like, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially just wanted to, to say that I'm gay and uh, went on with in the same way that I would say, just wanted to let you guys know I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> just wanted to let you guys know I'm not feeling so good. Whatever it might, he yeah. just, this is who I am. Like just throwing it down, just letting you guys know. Um, this is what I do. And I'm sure he knew what was on the other side of that video in terms of the good and the bad, but to just be like, yeah, that's who I am and not hiding it anymore. Done with all of that. This is who I am. And, um, I know for a lot of people, this was going to be a huge thing for, for, for gay NFL fans. This was going to be huge for, for people in any number of walks of life who don't feel represented. This was going to be huge. Um, but I thought this was so much better and maybe I'm not the right guy to speak to that, but this was so much better than some sort of press conference or big long write up in the players tribune. It was just something on his Instagram. He's like, Hey, just letting you guys know. I, I loved the casualness of it. Like, this is who I am. I don't need to make this a huge, I know it's going to be huge, but I'm not going to treat it like I'm any different than I was yesterday or whatever. This is who I am. And you know, off we go. I thought that was so cool. Just the casual vibe of it. I don't know why that spoke to me so much, but to just be that, um, to seem at least, or to f- look that comfortable making some a decision or making an announcement that was clearly going to be so impactful. So I thought it was super cool. Like you said, NFL football, um, is not always the most accepting place let's say 95 percent, which would be huge let's say 95 percent of nfl fans are on your side there's millions of nfl fans and so that means there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who may attack him on twitter may boo him may suddenly have a different opinion of him than they had the day before which is ridiculous but uh so you know you're opening yourself up to that even in the best case scenario um but to come out to do it anyway uh, was incredible. Like you said, there's no chance on earth that he is the first gay NFL player. He's just the first one to be openly gay. Uh, Warren Moon put out a great statement uh, that said that, um, you know, he knows for fact that he played with, with gay players who never wanted to to come out. He said, great guys, great teammates, no different than, than anybody else, and that this was a great day for football. I thought that was really cool to go back a couple generations and have someone like that, someone so respected like Warren Moon come out and go, yeah, no, I played with gay teammates. They just weren't ready to, they weren't ready to talk about it. So no, he's not the first gay player. He is the first one to have the, um, or the first one to be willing to be openly gay and say, yeah, this is who I am. I'm still a badass. I'm still going to do my job. I'm still going to be a killer football player and I'm not hiding who I am. I was awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, I re- highly recommend, um, if listeners haven't already checking out Ryan O'Callaghan's book, he was a offensive lineman for the new England Patriots and he came out as gay after he retired. Yes. Uh, and he writes about that experience and it's very, very interesting. Um, but you know, t- to your point coming out is such a, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a huge deal. It's it someone being open about who they are and, and you know, whether it's coming out to your parents, your family, your friends, or to the public, mm-hmm. it, it can be, a variety of experiences, right? There's oh, a yeah. range of ways that people can react and there's a range of ways that people feel when they come out. To some people, it's very casual, like, hey, this is who I am. Yep. You know, 
cool. Let's move on. And that's great. And to some people, it's a very emotional thing because it, it took them a while to get there. That's right. And it took them a while to, to feel comfortable and, and to, 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 you know, wrap their heads around the, the, the reactions that they can get. And, and, you know, it's a vulnerable position to put yourself in, Certainly. um, being open about who you are, right. It doesn't matter, you know, in what context, but, um, I think it's, it's very, it is very important telling that he was so calm. I think it's great that he was just given the fan base and the, the environment that he's coming out to. Right. Um, I think it was really important for this to just be a normal thing. And Hey, this is who I am. It, I'm not, I don't mean to downplay at all the significance of this moment because ho- like I said, no, exactly. hopefully this leads to more people doing sure. the same thing. Um, and, and it should, because again, like statistically speaking, there is no way that every other player in the NFL is straight. Nope. Just, like there's absolutely no way. Nope. Um, so, and, and again, like it's, it's, it's up to, to each individual how and when they want to come out. And if they do at all, I hope that we are getting to a place where people feel more comfortable. But I also think that the way that we frame this is, and I've tried to be very, very mindful of how I framed it. Like I don't want to put the onus on them. It, the onus is on us to change the culture, to make it more, comfortable for yeah. people to come out right the onus is on the nfl and football to change their culture such that people aren't afraid right right because there's a lot of homophobia in sports all sports you don't say eh? and yeah. yeah and i think we as fans and and media and and coaches and players and and everyone in between the onus is on them to create a culture that encourages people being open about who they are and hopefully you know it's it, i'm so great i'm so happy that, that carl nasib did this and i hope it leads to more um but i hope what it also does is leads to a change of everybody else around these players right and and, it, and a change in culture that that makes it safer and and more comfortable for people to be honest about who they're and uh judging by the uh the jersey sales this week looks like he started a good thing and, and started to push us further down that path so cheers to yes. him yes yeah, it's awesome. It's you know what, some good NFL news is uh, hard to come by some days, <laughs> uh, and and this was this was really encouraging. So so shout out Carl Nassib and and shout out you know uh, everybody who uh, is maybe thinking of doing the same. Yeah, I, I hope that you feel comfortable enough to do that. When you're ready, um, we'll be ready for you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you for bringing that up. I, com- I, I can't believe I forgot about that. <laughs> I had it already. in my notes and I just completely slipped my mind. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That seems like a great place to end the show on. Agreed. Take us home, Screeds. Right. How, how was your beer, by the way? Not I, bad. I know how, not how bad. Actually, um, it's not as tart as some of them, which is the, st- the thing that normally turns me off. Like this was um, still beery, right? Which is, is what I'm looking for. You got to keep me at least in that neck of the woods. I don't want to be trending off towards... I don't know, um, ciders and, and things spritz, like that. Exactly. Yeah, that was a little bit further. Uh, from, this is pretty nice. <laughs> I don't mind this, uh, but there will be another one here as I edit because uh, the 4.2 after the day that uh, that we've had yeah, here. Listerine. Yeah, we need just a little bit more. So uh, pretty good. Enjoyed this one. How was yours? Oh, very good. I, I've had the Vermont Blonde yeah. a number of times, and it is, uh, like I said, Burdock. I'm going to have to make another order from them. Um because they are one of my favorite breweries in Toronto. So if you haven't already, I highly, highly recommend checking them out. There you go. Uh, all right. That is all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TallCanAudio, Facebook.com slash TallCanAudio. You can find me on Twitter at Shrides, S-C-H-R-E-I-D-S. You can find my 
craft beer photos takes whatever you have you can see what i'm drinking at crafted in the capital on instagram we will see you next time on tall can audio peace did you see that yep there's an hour you're never getting back i just want to say from the bottom of my heart i'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody the double track does what the f- he wants okay I'm going to call that a wrap. You can find tons more TCA at tallcanaudio.com. Ba-dum-bum.